0: I'm Carly Chardonnay Webb. You're in the Transporter Room. Welcome to a new week. There's so much to talk about, but coming up in just a few minutes, we have Helen Carroll from NCLR. What is NCLR? The (laughs) National Center for Lesbian Rights. And if you think they're just about lesbians, no, sir, no, ma'am. We'll hear from Helen and a lot later, Blue Del Barrio the first non-binary actor playing a non-binary character on Star Trek. My exclusive interview coming up.
1: Um, Hey, Carly, what's going on in the news? Well, let me see what is going on in the news. Uh, we got a little thing coming up in a few days from now. Oh, yeah, I think no, we, have, we, little... we
0: have plans on Tuesday, right?
1: Yeah, we got some plans on Tuesday. We got to go to the polls.
0: Plus, last night, the uh, the Supreme Court... Uh, has a new justice Associate Justice Amy Coney Barrett so there's that you know what one of the first cases they're going to handle by the way an LGBT case Which case which case are they handling first again? it's a Philadelphia case involving adoption Catholic charities wanted to discriminate against gay couples and Philadelphia said you can't do that and they said first amendment rights
1: freedom of speech And it's going before the Supreme Court, November 4th, day after the election. You know what that means? The fight continues. It also means to everybody, it's important what you do November 3rd, but it's even more important what you do November 4th, November 5th, November 6th, and every day after that. We're still going to be in the battle. But right now, I still say the momentum is on the side side of what's right. And that momentum... Has continued from the Supreme Court cases this summer forward. So let's not let's not be faint of heart. Let's realize we still we still got hills to climb. We still have fights to fight. Even even with this,
0: well, you know, the we Haitian can still Nevada, turn this setback around. Beyond mountains, more mountains.
1: Oh yeah, but, you, but know, you know, as,
0: what? as a runner, you know this, Carly. You're not supposed to look behind you because you're not going that way. But I think True. we have to keep an eye on the Republicans in our rearview mirror. And I have to be honest, I was uh, uh lunching with some ladies yesterday, and uh, we were right. talking about how the Republicans will fight dirty. they will do everything for their cause. they don't care about the rules, they just want to get their cause and Democrats are always right. well, we have to maintain the order, and this is history, and we have to
1: you know respect all oh, bullshit. win win yes but <laughs> but you know something there's a way but I agree with some of that and that there's a way to win. There's a way to win. What good What good is it? Well, you know, scripture tells us what good is it to gain the whole world and lose our soul in the process. Yeah. And that, and there's some things I don't want. I mean, I don't want us to lose our soul and our character as a democratic society in the process. In the I process, so we can to. defend our rights and defend our democracy. And, and And the only way we're going to defend our democracy is what? Defending our rights, Charlie. I've always believed it's easier to ask for forgiveness and permission. True, but power concedes nothing without demand, and ultimately, we're going to make demands.
0: Well, and with that's the free power comes Responsibility, Peter Parker.
1: <laughs> well, then that's true too. But the point, and that's part of what, and that is part of our responsibility. November third, for those of you who've already voted, you fulfilled. You fulfilled the beginning of that responsibility. You should vote for again. For and those who have yet to vote, you have to fulfill your responsibility, but your responsibility continues on the fourth and the fifth and every day after, as Ralph Nader said, as Ralph Nader said, "Daily democracy requires daily citizenship. and, that's where, and that's where we're and that's where we're
0: at what I say. OK. So let's set coordinates from Mountain View, California. Let's bring in the National Center for Lesbian Rights. Helen
1: Carroll, welcome to the Transporter Room. Beam her up, Carly.
2: we're gonna beam
1: her up, and I must say I'm very excited about this beam up. History is walking on to our transporter pads tonight.
0: And you must be from someplace south of there because I hear a little drawl in your voice.
3: Can you tell that after I've been here for 30 years? Yeah, I'm from Tennessee. Originally from Tennessee, that's Summit and I were good buddies, good basketball buddies. We played that's against awesome. each other and yeah. coached against each other. Oh, where? Oh, you play against each other in college? Uh, in high school and in college, oh, yeah. Oh, that's we, right. we knew each other from the time we were about fourteen. So, so you knew Coach back when it was when she was Pat Head. Yeah, Pat, <laughs> I had a hard
1: time even being Summit. Have you had a lot of people come out to you?
3: Yes. Yes. We have had a lot of young people discriminated against in colleges, universities, high schools who weren't out to anyone until they told us what was going on. So not only did they have to be a part of the legal system and, and very often in the news, uh, but they had to come out and talk to their parents and to the whole world. So it, you know, it takes a lot of, uh, spending time with those those young athletes and working with them to be to be the strong person that that they are
0: we have a expression in out sports courage is contagious
3: it's absolutely true especially when you've got some visibility on your side and that's what those young athletes and and coaches uh do when they come out and they're in the news and they're they're just fighting for their right to simply play sports or coach sports. I'm pretty sure when you started, for example, your coaching career, and that
1: was way, and we're talking like, we're talking like late seventies into the eighties, UNC Asheville Bulldogs, we're going to get to that in a minute, that championship season. But did you ever thought that you'd be speaking out on this
3: issue to the level that you have? No, I had no idea. No idea. Of course, I—I I was a, a a coach who was very, very closeted. Kind of like with the other coaches, we were in our uh, our khaki pants and our light blue shirts, sitting up in the stands watching ball games, thinking absolutely nobody knew all of us with our short hair and our muscles were lesbian at all. We figured we had the world fooled. Well, when- was there ever a point when you, when was the point when
1: for yourself, okay, it was safe for me to come forward? When did you feel that? Did you ever truly feel that? And if so, when did you, when did you finally
3: say that enough is enough? You know, I don't think I ever felt that, but what I did feel was uh, being extremely unhappy and making a decision when I moved from uh, Nebraska, where I was coaching to North Carolina. Carolina, where I was coaching, that I would just try to be who I was, show my players who I was, see how that worked. And if it didn't work, I'd just do something else. So that was kind of the decision uh, that I made when I, when I went to uh, UNC Asheville. And when was it you came out? You know, I publicly actually saying the words that I was a lesbian, I didn't do that until I was an athletic director at Mills College in California, and I was probably 36 or 37 years old. Now that you're 39, um, looking yeah, at that, now I'm
0: thirty-nine. <laughs> do, you, do you regret not coming out sooner? What, what, do you think the acceptance would have um, been less so in those days than compared to now?
3: Well, I don't think I can regret it because I think that was just my life path. And I think that, you know, I found myself kind of running away going up to Nebraska to coach and away from family in the South. Uh, But once I, I, well, once I was out and a successful coach, then I I felt very accepted by my, uh, by my family. I'm not sure which of those was more important. (laughs) Being a, being a sports family from Tennessee. Uh, but like I say, that was just part of my journey. And I, I think that it's uh, it was fine. It's just made me who I am. And just like the rest of the journey, moving all the way through being an athletic director, going to NCLR, uh, there are a lot of different parts of my life that I've been, that has been hard to do. And it's made me very, very happy and fulfilled.
1: Well, I want to touch on, get into this early. One of the crowning achievements of of your of your early career, 1984 NAIA Championship, and I'm going to give you a little trivia. I was there. Really? Yes, I was there. Cedar Rapids, Iowa, 1984. I was there. My dad. My dad took me to that because we always went to the NAIA Finals. Because the coolest thing about the NAIA is all the teams in one place. So you you can have a – you sit there and you watch games all day, and it was great. Yeah. Or at one level, was it – even coaching while being in the closet, was that championship bittersweet or was it still sweet? What was it like to go 32-5 and five and have that
3: national championship on your mantle? Oh, that was, you know – you can only say it was sweet, you know, but because the players and I took a real journey together. It, Asheville had never even had a winning team. Uh, and the first year I coached there, I think we lost our first nine or 10 games. Uh, so then for three years later to be where we were. Uh, and I do believe that even though I didn't use the words to say, hey, I'm a coach and I'm I'm lesbian and blah, blah, blah. We we all knew. I mean, I knew which players were lesbian. They knew about me. Uh, when we had our conferences, we were able to talk very frankly about uh, you know relationships and what they mean to a team. While you're you know in a relationship or breaking up in a relationship, and and how to how to do that during the season, so that we could keep our priorities where they needed to be if we wanted to win. And I left that up to them. I said, if you don't want to win, then, you know, you can go out drinking the night before a game. You can have all kinds of relationships and break up and switch around. And But if you want to win, then you've got to be mature about your life. And I really felt like they were able to hear that and grasp that over a few
1: Start again with just because I stepped on you. Uh, no problem. Now that message you just had, Jed, really important because I've heard many coaches say that if you want to win, you got to make choices. At what point did you look in the mirror and say, "Okay, coach, we got to live by our own policies here"? In regards to your own, in regards to your own, own journey and finding your own truth, was there ever that moment for you?
3: Well, I I think it was. uh Probably in 1980, again dating myself, uh, when I left my coaching job in Nebraska and took the coaching job at UNC Asheville, I really made some personal decisions at that time uh, to be as honest as I possibly could with my players, uh, lead with try to lead with integrity, uh, and and have them be able to trust me whether they were some of my black players in the South, whether they were lesbian, uh, whether they were uh, straight, you know, white Christian gals. Uh, I mean, we just all really, and and we embraced that. We supported each other in, in all of those identities. And I think that made the difference in, I think we played eight overtime games that season and we won all of those. We won all of those. At the the national championship game, the score was 65 to 65, and we went into overtime and ended up winning that. We always felt if we got to overtime, we would win the game.
0: When you talk about support, one of the things that Carly and I have experienced, both in athletics and in just everyday life, is that there are some women, including lesbians, not all lesbians, but particularly in the LGBT community, lesbians who refuse to accept that trans women are women. They object to trans inclusion to the point of having campaigns and lawsuits and uh, they form organizations and they are trying to undermine the rights that we have fought so hard to get that we still have a lot more to go. I wonder if you could speak a little bit about what your experience has been regarding those folks who just
3: can't accept trans women as women? Yeah, I think the first thing I'd like to say is that the majority of women that I know uh, who are coaches and who are teammates of transgender athletes uh, in college and in in high school and even younger middle school uh, are very accepting and supportive. And then, like you say, Dawn, we've got this group that just believes uh, no matter what, a transgender woman should not be playing, or girls should not be playing in sports. Uh, To me, I feel some of that is uh, not understanding that transgender women in sports, in college Olympics, uh, the the higher skill sports, uh, actually, fit right in, right in the perimeter with uh, cisgender women athletes. The reason for that is that they they do the uh, the hormone treatment. They suppress the t- testosterone. They take lots of estrogen. Uh, so, in the majority of cases, transgender women have less testosterone than cisgender women. They have so much estrogen that they have to train almost twice as hard to keep their musculature uh equal with cisgender women. And you I just it's nodding. I, I it's nodding. It's a, we're it's, nodding. <laughs> it's uh you know, it's complicated and it's something you have to learn about and understand. And I do believe that many of those women have not had the opportunity to do that. And and I and honestly, I do find that that a number of them are closed to, to even hearing that, which I think that distresses me almost as much as anything. Uh, so I, I also think that part of this uh, has happened with the backlash from Republicans in state legislators, uh, as state legislators and in state governments. I feel like that's been used as a larger fear tactic to all uh, people in their states to try to just stir up this animosity and, and fear and hatred like for some damn reason they like to do. I, I, I'll never understand that, but it does seem to be something they're really, they really like to do and they're pretty good at. Uh, so that in itself, I think, has also upset uh, some women, uh, athletes, advocates, uh, in that area. And off, and I do have opportunities to talk with these women at times and have some really good conversations. And I like doing that. Uh, not that we change each other's minds at all, but I do think that when they hear a little more about the absolute truth of what's, what's going on, uh, you know, if they're reasonable people at all, they're able to hear some of that. Thank you. It does drive me crazy too, though. Just so you know, I could sense that. I think what we're seeing or what we've seen in like the last uh, ten years, uh, and I've actually been been working with this since two thousand and five, when the uh, Olympics, you know, opened their doors to to transgender uh, athletes, uh, but particularly in the last 10 to 12 years with the NCAA, uh, policy that does have you do that one year of hormone, uh, suppression and therapy, uh, that there are so many athletes, trans athletes playing across the country and their teammates are great. The coaches are great. The opponents are great. The parents are great. I mean, you just have hardly ever a problem. I can only even think of two and that just happened to be because those women won. So transgender women, they lose, they're awful. they're in the, med- in, the in the middle of the pack and play fairly well. they're above average and every once in a while somebody wins. Uh, so uh, and again, I think that, that some of that was also stirred up uh, in a political way.
1: Now, obviously, you've been pro- probably following a little bit of the news of what's been happening. Uh, we're in the middle of a pandemic, yet states are taking COVID off the legislative roles and putting discrimination of trans people on those very same roles.
3: When yeah. you look at that, what thoughts come to your mind when you, when you see that? Well, I, the, the first thought that comes to me is that it's just mean-spirited it's very mean-spirited and uh and just shows a lack of uh integrity and caring uh not only toward the transgender uh people in this world but toward uh everybody when we're looking at this huge health problem and to not even believe that it's a it's a it's a it's a health pandemic you can do something about just by wearing a stupid little cloth mask uh it's just it's just ridiculous. And, and I think like in Utah, you know, there was a, a, a law that actually passed. It said no transgender people at all could play any sports. Now they were saying college, high school, junior high, the NCAA wrote a letter to them saying, you know, this is not acceptable to them. They have transgender students that come into the play. Uh, but that was actually lost in the courts. They lost that. Uh, and the and the judge said that this is just unreasonable. It's unreasonable to try to blanket every single trans person that wants to play athletics uh, like this and, and have a law like this. So, you know, we were pleased with that. And I was able to work with the ACLU on that a little bit, which I really liked doing. And, of course, I'm sure they're going to appeal it and try to, you know, Get it all the way up to the Supreme Court. Who knows? I hope it moves at a snail's pace, and or at least it waits one week until we get past November third. <laughs> well, one thing—a quick follow-up to that. By the
1: way, that, I think you're talking about the the recent the recent situation in Idaho where they passed. Oh, I'm sorry. Anti- I'm well, sorry. it I was, but it was two. It was two anti-discrimination laws on the same day. Yes, one banning right. gender markers one banning one transgender participation in sport. Um, as far as that, also most recently we had a school, you have a university, in fact, up here where we are based in the Northeast, the same university that had a transgender student athlete win a national championship, now under under duress going back on their policies. If you could have, say, that the athletic director at Franklin Pierce, Pierce in the room yes. with you right now, what would you tell that athletic director?
3: I would say to that athletic director to do what is right for your students and to stay out of politics. That's exactly what I would say to that athletic director. And I would ask them to have a conversation with other athletic directors who have transgender student athletes on their teams uh, and listen to how that has worked so well uh, for them.
0: Well, there's that sound again. It means we have to take a break. Coming up on the transporter room, we're going to ask Helen how she played against one legend and yet teamed up with another. What was that like? Who are they? Plus, my exclusive interview with Blue Del Barrio of Star Trek Discovery. You'll hear a sneak peek coming up.
1: And welcome back to the Transporter Room. Carly Webb, along with Don Ennis, Helen Carroll from the National Center for Lesbian Rights with us here in the transporter room. And you've had the opportunity to meet many people in your travels, including you, have among the things you've you got an award from OutSports back in 2011, also known as the gayest year in sports. You, you've been considered a person who's had a massive impact on diversity, inclusion, in sport for years, but and two people are callous for that. First one you played against. I want to take want to take you back to Murfreesboro, Tennessee, way way back in the day. Yes, we did homework on you, and you ran into somebody who the world knows by a very different name, but you just knew her as Trish Head. What was it like playing against the person that we all know as Pat Head Summit back in the day?
3: Back in the day, Pat had. we we knew each other as when we were as young as fifteen years old. And then when she was playing for University of Tennessee at Martin, and I was playing for Middle Tennessee State University, we played each other. We played against each other in uh, in quite a few games. And then when she started um, coaching at UT, she was a graduate assistant, actually uh, probably getting a few hundred dollars, I would guess. And then I was coaching at. UT Martin, her school. I was, I was coaching there. And so we got to play against each other uh, quite a bit. So, you know, through all those years, we, we knew each other fairly, fairly well. We had a a beer or two together, I would say. And uh, she was just quite a character. And and I think there, there were a, a group of us that knew each other and we just thoroughly enjoyed each other. We had a good time to eat uh, we had a good time with each other and then we just tried to tear each other's throats out when we were playing against each other. Very competitive. I'm just wondering, did you ever, did you ever get a chance to kind of hold it over a little bit? Like I
1: got a national championship before you did. Cause you did get a national championship before she did. Did I? Oh my gosh. <laughs> uh, yeah. You got a
3: national championship before Pat did. Well, if I'd know, if I'd realized that I would have, I would have done that, but. But no, I never did. I never did. Of course, then she, you know, I got one and she got about 150. So that made a difference. Now, then
1: through that coaching career, from that competitiveness, you had the, uh, there was another legend that you had an opportunity to cooperate. And, and I'm quoting from Outsports back June 1st, 2017, about the time you announced your retirement from the NCLR. And this person said something very important. We had, quote, we have become trusted colleagues and dear friends who have supported each other, caused trouble together, laughed and cried together, raged and acted silly together, celebrated victories and mourned defeats. She has always had my back and I have hers. There's no one I know who has given more to the experiences of the next generation of LGBTQ athletes, coaches and administrators. Great. Pat Griffin said that. What was it like to work with Pat Griffin, fight alongside Pat Griffin? And in many ways, both of you made a mark for inclusion together, including building what became the template for the NCAA trans student po- trans student athlete policy.
3: Well, I, I think like she said, I, I think we really strengthened each other because I mean, early on, we didn't have a lot of people to work with that we're doing this work, especially because we got to travel together uh, and work at conferences and, and uh, with teams and, and, and in that way. And so we really were able to uh, support each other. And like she's saying too, you know, we, we had a lot of fun together. A lot of fun, probably can't even say all of it on, on air here, but uh, we were good buddies. We, we did that. we, I think we, we stepped out into places that were actually unknown to us. I, I, you know, I think I'll always feel very, very maybe "proud isn't the word, but very touched that we both got to work with so many transgender student athletes uh, and actually really learn so much that we're able to to talk with people and and have them hear some of the things that it, you know, it took years for us to learn. And we're still learning. We're still learning. We've got to get our non-binary student athletes uh, playing in a way that, that really, you know, benefits them. So those are, that's some of the things we're thinking about now. I, I think I talked to Pat yesterday, as a matter of fact, we are, we're on the phone all the time and it's, it's we hate COVID because I can't fly up to New England and just hang out at the house with with Pat and Kathy, and and we can't meet each other at conferences anymore. But I'm very touched by what you've read. Uh, I always feel that it's uh, it's an honor that she she feels that way about me, and and certainly I know that uh, she did a lot of teaching to me on on how to really impart uh, impart knowledge and, and help uh, to people in a in a way that that could be accepted. So thank you for read thank you for reading that quote that filled my heart. Hey well she said it.
0: Carly is a great researcher, reporter, writer, but you mentioned something that I wanted to segue to. You talked about COVID. Now, we're here in New England, and thank goodness, the positivity rate is not as bad here. What's it like out there in Mountain View, and what's it like back in Tennessee, your home state? What have you been doing with the COVID?
3: Well, you know, in, in, in Tennessee, the rates are pretty high. I don't see them quite as high as some of the other 30 states that are just going berserk with their numbers right now, but it's fairly high. Uh, California. You know, we're such a large state. We have 30 million people in California and we see the rates really high down in L.A. Uh, So come on, L.A., get with it a little more. Wear your mask more. Separate a little bit. Uh, And up here in Mountain View, which is near San Francisco in Northern California, our numbers are looking, looking, uh, you know, good. I feel like our governor, Gavin Newsom, has really stayed on us to wear a mask and separate and, and open a little later and open very carefully slowly uh he's taken a lot of grief for that but you know I'm kind of happy to see our numbers not move in like the other 38 states across the country right now uh and I know I've been really careful even though I'm you know I, I would have to say I'm an maybe avid maybe uh addicted pickleball player at this at this time and you know I'm retired so I can play a lot of sports and I find that uh pickleball's the one I can really kind of play pretty good so uh so I'm doing that in a careful way and and I just uh you know I'm just hoping everybody is careful and takes responsibility for themselves and the people that are around them if we just do that things will get better. Um, so I guess, I guess that's the COVID. I mean, I, we got to live with it longer. We're not going to get the, you know, we're not going to get the vaccine next week. And so I think as things, if things get better and open up slowly, we just have to go ahead and wear our mask. If that's the hardest thing we ever have to do in our lives. I think that that's, you know, that means you've had a good life. So I guess that's my thoughts
0: on it. I, I got to ask though, as a New Yorker, and uh, you know, sometimes I lapse into my accent, my my twang. You know, I had a high heel and I walked the dog and I pull up the car. Um, what is pickleball? Pickleball? I love pickleball pickles, and I love baseball, but I don't know what pickleball <laughs>
3: is. Pickleball is a fast and growing sport in the United States. It's played on a smaller court than a tennis court, but sort of divided up like a tennis court has a net. You play with a paddle and you have a wiffle ball that has holes in it uh, and you serve and return the serve. And then it has rules and you can play doubles. And, you know, for the, the ones of us, baby boomers, it's much easier on our knees and ankles. And we can still uh, we can still growl and be pretty ferocious in our competitiveness. Well, that's, so kind of that's like it, Don. You're going to have to play. Well, the only problem is when I tried playing
0: tennis, and I did try, I kept hitting the ball over the fence. So that's when I took up racquetball, because it has a ceiling. Right. <laughs> so if I can play pickleball with a ceiling, I think I might be able to try it.
3: Yeah, well, pick. you can lob the ball and pickleball to the over the moon and back down again. So I think you'll be fine.
1: And actually, that's a sport I've taken up. That's yeah. right. That's a sport I've recently taken up. It is a lot of fun. One thing, though, as a person who's been an administrator since we're talking about COVID. What are your thoughts on, at one level, this it seems like almost in a way this mad rush, for example, to get football going. A number of states are having high school sports going. As an athletic director, what's your thoughts on some of the things you're seeing in the landscape? Because it's been haphazard. Some places have had some good experiences but many places of seeing games postponed because, hey, there's only, you can't bubble a high school, for example. Yeah,
3: yeah. I, I think my, my first thought is that I really wish that we had had a strong national leadership to show, you know, really workable guidance uh, to schools across the nation. Uh, and then one of my second thoughts is, and maybe this is just too ideal, but I really wish that we could have all all the schools and sports could have just waited, you know, a year to even try to do it again. And I think one of, one of the big influencers on that is money. Of course, you know, whether, I don't care whether you're talking high school or whether you're talking pro sports, it has to do with money. Uh, I think another has to do with, you know, kids being restless and and maybe even leaders feeling like it's not that big a deal Uh, i also i do know and talk with athletic directors uh quite often that they are working so hard to make it safe for their students so many tests keeping them separated there's they're in the in the dorms doing all their classes by zoom the only really outlet they have is going and playing with their teammates but but even with that we see people getting covid and we see games having to be postponed and i haven't heard of any college athletes dying from covid you know which i hope that never ever happens yeah god uh,
0: forbid so far no but there's a we do know some of the coaches
3: get yeah some of the coaches get covid too and i wonder yeah. how not only how they do but how their family does so um And some of the
0: coaches are older like us, so, you know,
3: exactly.
0: there's more restrictions. Do you think that um, if they had uh, held back and not started sports, would not also have been um, uh, disqualifying for some athletes who are counting on scholarships? And I know a lot of high school seniors, um, Carly and I have interviewed two trans girls here in Connecticut who were hoping for one more chance on the track, but they ended their senior year without being able to compete.
3: Well, I mean, maybe ideally, when you start the next the next year or so, that you you start where you were, you know, you have your same scholarships, you 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 still have the same championships that didn't happen last year, but again, that's 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 in an ideal way. I do know the NCAA has done quite a bit of work to make sure uh, players can, can get their next season, that they're not ineligible. And then the schools have to to do the scholarships, which I think many of them are keeping those for the athletes that want to come that next year. But, but of course, students are uh, sort of ready to graduate too. They have to decide if they want to stay and play another year or if they do want to graduate when they can graduate. I mean, I myself would stay and play forever if I could, but, uh, but they have, they have. Everybody has hard decisions to make, to make on this. The the more guidance that can be given, that's that's good practical guidance. I think is the most most helpful. I was glad to see the NCAA doing some of that. Helen, if uh,
0: you could go back in time, and there was a decision you had to make about continuing in sports and then becoming an athletic director. If you had chosen a different path other than sports, what would you have become? What was what was the plan B for Helen Carroll?
3: Well, what I thought was Plan A for a long time, and then coaching was Plan B, was uh, wanting to be an astronaut. And you know, not only not you only too, a such young too. kid, and one, <laughs> one of the astronauts is a good friend is a friend of mine, uh, Louise Set, uh, uh, Ray Seddon, Though she's, I mean, a while ago she went up. She's from Murfreesboro. But uh, I, I, you know, I would have loved to do that. I started out with chemistry and physics and all that. And it, it didn't take me one year to decide I'd do a little better on the basketball court than I would in physics class. So. Um, so that's that would have been my my plan, me is to get up there in the space station and be uh, uh, rotating around the Earth. That's a great question. I love that question going back to
1: sports. One thing you were involved in, college sports, a national champion, a coach but you're also cited as a person who helped open up roller derby. What was it like working with that and getting that on the exclusion train as it were?
3: You know, I I, I loved it because a doctor friend of mine, Nick, and, and I went and worked with uh, some of the teams here in the uh, in the bay area in California and uh, you know help them with their transgender policy and and you you know they were all great they were I mean maybe I didn't talk with some of the people who weren't happy about it but most of the people I worked with were just busy about figuring out how to make it work and work for every team so they did uh, I'll never forget what I mean one of the most fun things I did was go to do a clinic with them and I, I took my twin girls with me and I think they were probably, my eight or nine or ten at the time, they were just hanging on those rails, watching the women practice. It did not take long till they had climbed over that rail, and they were right in the middle of it. So, uh, you know, so I think it's a sport that includes all kinds of people and big, strong women and little, tiny will, women that can get through the crevices out there on the on the track. Uh, so, uh, you know, great sport fun to be involved with. As you've been
1: building all these different policies from the NCAA roller derby's policy to the NCAA policy in 2011, in general, just building this landscape in many ways for what we're seeing now where literally schools are having pride pride games. They're decking out in the rainbow. They're decking out and being true. And Students are standing up for their peers. You're seeing organizations like you, like you can play, active on campuses across this country. But how did you push through the resistance? Because there was, there had to, the, there was resistance at the beginning. I bet when you walked in that first meeting for the ND, NCAA back in like 2009, 2010, saying, "Hey, we need to start getting in front of this thing and building these policies." What was it like to push through? that re, the resistance that was there.
3: Well, you know, I, I would say it, it was two things. It was gratifying uh, and at times very, very difficult, but it was always important to find someone in any of those organizations, whether it was us soccer and working with jazz Jennings when she was seven years old and getting her there to play wow. in Florida I or, love uh, you know, or, or whether it was working with a with a college, it was it was always just critical get, to get a person like with U.S. Soccer or from the team from the college administration uh, that really felt the need to have inclusion for trans athletes. And, and once you find that person, you kind of learn what needs to happen, how it needs to happen. You're not trying to go in and say, you must do it this way because every group has to do it a little differently for their membership. And uh, so that that was kind of the way to do it. Uh, some policies took years and years and years to do. Some would surprise me and be done in six weeks. It was It's just a journey. You know, it's quite a journey, quite a journey. Well, I didn't know you were going to drop names, but You've got
0: to talk <laughs> more about our friend Jazz Jennings. Yeah, we got I'm very hear that fortunate way. to have met the family and to uh, interview Jazz, and she is a hero to so many. Tell us a little bit about um, the Jazz Jennings that you saw.
3: Well, I, I first talked to her parents and met her parents who had gotten in touch with us because Jazz uh, Jazz at that age was was able to practice with her soccer team, but she had to, to sit and watch the games because nobody would let her play. And to this day, I have this little poster of her sad little face sitting on the bleachers, as cute as she is, just watching her team play and her not getting to play. Uh, And then in working with, uh, you know, in in jazz, getting more involved with it, it it certainly helped the entire U.S. Soccer uh, Association uh, put in their policies. They were really the first group uh, like a NGO to put in policy. So they made sure that in the recreation area of it, uh, that any person could play just, uh, by saying what their gender identity was. And then when it got up into the more elite sports where you were playing international or looking at Olympics and it, it, you know, followed more of the NCAA policy, uh, Jazz went on and played other sports, though. So whatever sports she would play, we would kind of look into that area uh, to make sure she could play. And there was a policy there. She played tennis. Uh, and, you, you know, I, I worked with her mostly before she hit high school. Uh, so, it, you know, it was just it was fun. I know when I retired, she sent just the nicest little video. You know, saying that it was great getting to play sports when when she was young because of the work that NCLR uh, was able to do and and you know working with her parents and with her. Uh, so yeah, she's a she is a great she's a great gal. She's educated thousands to tens of thousands of uh, of people, and and of course she's been that visibility that's so critically strong. I mean, even in soccer, you know, I was able to use pictures of her playing soccer that, you know, they said it was okay to do to just show other young kids that were trans that yeah, you can get out there and play. So I think that's the, that's the role that she seems to have played in her life up to, up to this very year. And then I think we're all very, very uh, grateful to her uh, for how she has done this in, in such a gracious uh, understandable way. Well, not only do a, a lot
1: of kids and also a lot of weekend athletes like myself, owe oh, a debt of gratitude to what you've d- done over the years and the fights you fought and the people you've educated. Um, in 2011, Outsports named you and Pat Griffin Persons of the Year. What did that mean to you to get that type of honor especially from the readers of this website which has become which in many ways has become it's become to journalism what you have become for inclusion what was it like for you to get that award and what does it mean to you even now to be seen in the manner of when other in doing my research for this a lot of people shouted your name out that's why i was so excited to get you here what it mean to you to get that award then, and to be continue to be known now, and also while you're at it, what are you doing now, even in retirement? Did you ever did you truly retire? Hey, Carly, you want to ask maybe one of those what,
0: seventeen questions? <laughs> hey, I got them all. I got oh. them all.
3: <laughs> so uh, first of all, the first thing about, you know, with the out sports and uh, and and the and the work that we've done, uh, my first word is just surprising for the recognition. I mean, I, I think that we've been doing it for so long that, you know, to have Outsport to do that, it was, it was exciting. And, uh, and, and it meant even more because uh, Pat and I got the award together. Uh, so to both of us, it was very special. We were We were quite honored about that. And then, you know, being looked at for all the work we've done, Again, it it puts a smile on my face. I I feel like one of the most important things we did was some mentoring of younger people who are, who are doing now what we were doing then. I mean, uh, Nevin Capel's mind, uh, comes to uh, a name comes to mind. She is doing such fabulous work and, uh, and other young people also. Uh, and the third question, what am I doing now besides playing pickleball? That was your question, I think, Uh, Mm -hmm. Well, you know, I'm still consulting and working with NCLR uh, when they need uh, they need someone to kind of jump in and help with the transgender athletes or with uh, political legislative stupid things that are going on. I'm, I'm happy to to help with <laughs> uh, <laughs> with that. Uh, I'm still working with the NCAA and NCLR on a project called Common Ground, which has to do with uh, uh, religion and college sports, Uh, LGBT athletes that are on religious campuses, uh, how they're treated and how they're respected. And so Pat and I have been doing that work for five or six years now, and we really feel like we're making some big inroads with these uh, with the colleges who are beginning to, or not beginning, that do really care about their athletes that are in the athletic department that are LGBTQ, uh, with many of them being uh, religious or Christian uh, themselves, you know, to be able to work with them in a in a better way where where they can be open and not have to uh, to leave the school to go somewhere else. So I'm excited about that work. I plan to be doing that work for a long time, just like Pat does. Pat's sort of a, she's sort of a big leader in that also. So, so I'm staying, you know, I'm staying fairly busy. It's fun. It's fun to be able to pick and choose what you want to work on. You get to work on the things that are, you know, so dear to your heart. I do not want what has been achieved for transgender athletes to backslide you know and and I'm going to fight tooth and nail for that not to happen and that we don't have to just stand still so we don't backslide we still need to be moving forward there's still policies can be improved we can get more trans athletes playing in all the parts of sports and that's uh that's what I want to see done and I you know I'll be glad to see I'll be glad to see Joe Biden in there helping reverse the crazy things Betsy DeVos is doing to keep trans kids out of schools or to not give title IX money to schools if they have a transgender athlete. So I think those are the things I'm doing now.
0: Well, thank you for that. And we're so grateful for your allyship. I think for every crazy transphobe and, and, uh, opponent we have, we've got you and so many others standing in our corner Supporting us, cheering us on, and leading the way. So, thank you for your lifetime of work. Yeah. Thank you for taking time out of your evening to chat with us. And I'm just so happy to have met you.
3: It's been it's been great talking to both of you. I'm really happy to to see you and to meet you. And you know, I've known about kind of both of you for a while. Even though you uh, must have been six months old when you were in Iowa at that uh, uh, at that championship game, no, that I was I- coaching.
1: No, actually, I was about 13 at that time. Oh, wow. Yeah, see, but well, t- I'm thinking,
0: estrogen's a benefit of
1: But I can tell you, I, like, I, I really appreciate the fact you don't want to see any pla- backslide. I don't want to see any of our, I don't want to see sports go back to what it was for any of our rainbow family. Oh, absolutely. Because, Not like you injure anybody. Because yeah, this know. is a, because what, what a lot of people have always said was, this is a part of a greater strategy. I've reported on this. This is a this is a bigger strategy because they figure we can go after the trans people, and then and then we'll go after we'll go after all those other letters when you're not looking. So I don't right. see any. I don't want to see sports being used as a tool to have any backslide, any revision. We've come too far to go back in that closet.
3: You are right. You are absolutely right. We've got to say, all of us have to stay really, really vigilant and not let that sneak attack happen on us.
0: That's it. All right, Carly, set coordinates, Mountain View, California.
1: Safe travels. Safe travels, and we're going to have you back.
0: Absolutely. All right. Thanks, you two. Take care. Oh, she was just great. I'm so glad you were able to
1: snag her because that was a get. That was a real get. Well, I tell you, she's done so much for inclusion herself. I've, I've had the opportunity to meet the to meet one half of that dynamic duo. Now I've had the opportunity to have them both because no, Pat Griffin is is is, Pat's done some special things. But even Pat was shouting out, "No, you you really need to talk to Helen. Helen is just Helen's done a lot as a as a as a player, coach, administrator, all the way around. It's people like that who are now going to pass the torch on to a next generation." Of not just players, but coaches and athletic directors. And that's what we need. When, when inclu- the day when inclusion becomes the rule. Not well, the exception, but the we rule. Just, we we talked
0: to history tonight. Now, speaking of history, we also have a, just a small clip from an interview I did for Forbes.com. It'll be uh, online tomorrow morning, Thursday. Blue Del Barrio is a non-binary actor who came out on the set of Star Trek Discovery playing a non-binary character. It's the first recurring LGBT character in Star Trek history, and it's on Star Trek Discovery, which streams on all, on CBS All Access every Thursday. So that's tomorrow. So here's a little clip from my interview with Lou Del Barrio talking about coming out you and Adira have something in common about coming out.
2: Yeah, I, so I have had, (laughs) I've had a difficult uh, experience my whole life um, with gender. Um, And when I got this part, I was still sort of questioning. Um, I knew I wasn't cisgender, uh, but I didn't, I wasn't really out to anyone. Um, and so when I got this job I kind of had to do that and I had to come out sort of to myself and to my friends and to my parents Um, but I also care as much as I was excited to get a non-binary role and, and my first emotion was just pure joy at getting to play something that would allow me to explore myself further. Right after that came all of the um imposter syndrome of, you know, it shouldn't be me, it should be somebody else who's been out longer, who who knows themselves better. Um and I I you know I, I care a lot about uh trans representation in the media. So I wanted Adira's journey to um mirror mine. I didn't want to do anything that I hadn't already done. So I when we started, I was still using uh she they pronouns and I didn't want Adira to use they, them pronouns until I was out. So I waited until I was super comfortable and, um, you know, told everyone, <laughs> told my friends uh, and my family and then, um, and then said that I, could, that I could do the same with, with Adira. Um, so it was very challenging and difficult and stressful <laughs> and not, uh, not the way that I expected to <laughs> come out. Um, but I think that it was special, um, and very unique. And I had a lot of really good people around me and, you know, Anthony and Wilson and Nick and Ian, like the, I had the perfect people surrounding me and supporting me, um, to help me do that.
0: My last question is, um, my, uh, friend Carly Webb and I have a podcast. It's called The Trans- sporter room and it's on outsports.com which is an lgbt sports website do you have any interest in sports whatsoever i would just like to know
2: i know little to nothing about sports <laughs> <laughs>
0: well no, I, I had to ask i
2: attribute that to to being like a very nerdy person <laughs> but i I don't know, I watched a lot of like tennis with my dad, okay. but like that's it, really. <laughs> okay. And
0: would you believe Carly Nichelle Nichols thinking about quitting the original Star Trek series in the 60s until she was approached by none other than Dr. Martin Luther King, who said, No, you are going to be a role model. You serve a purpose by being there, accepted among as equals. And that decision by Michelle Nichols to stay on the show is one of the reasons we had a black female astronaut, Mae Jameson, who actually got to appear as a member of the crew on Star Trek Next Generation. And Blue didn't know that story, so I was just beaming, sorry for <laughs> the pun,
1: telling this wonderful story. What a sweet person. But I will tell you, that's something that Jean, this was Gene Roddenberry's dream. Yeah. That's what at its purpose. That's what Star Trek is about. I mean, that, that is what the whole universe is about. An idea when humanity breaks beyond its prejudices. Breaks beyond its prejudices within itself to help in, in turn break beyond prejudices throughout a galaxy. That was the whole point of Star Trek. That's what gets me about all these fanboys out here, all these dude bro fanboys who talk about keep your politics out of Star Trek if that is your view, then you've missed the point of Star Trek entirely. You missed the point of Gene Roddenberry's vision. And this is just another offshoot at that end. Whether it was in the show, Nichols then, or Blue today. And that's going to open the door for the next character, and the next set of stories, and the next set of representation. Because what do we always say, Dawn? Representation matters. That's right. And this is some big representation right here. So... Yeah. I'm looking, gotta, now I'm even more yeah. looking forward to Discovery. Please do watch,
0: and i got to warn you, you're going to see and hear something that you're not going to expect, and I can't tell you what it is because I'd be giving you a spoiler, but I explain it in my article, so check it out tomorrow on Forbes.com. I will it's, check it out. It's going it's to have some people in the LGBT communities
1: scratching their heads saying, wait a minute, and you'll see it when you, you'll know it when you see it. Well, I can't wait to read it. Knowing you, it's going to be, it's going to be explosive. It's going to be <laughs> thought provoking. It'll be dilithium crystal,
0: that's for sure.
3: Oh, Carly, yes.
0: I will see you next week. This was a great episode. I'm really excited. And by the way, I got a yes from Katie Barnes of ESPN.
1: She wants to be on the show. Katie Barnes wants here. Oh, yeah. Oh, yes. Yeah. Oh, yes. Anytime. That's open. And... Like, you got to ask, I told Katie. You've to you ask. I told you don't have to ask. Yeah,
0: that's what I told her. So let's make a make, make a schedule, and we'll talk to you soon, Carly. I'll see you on the interwebs, and
1: live long and prosper. Steady as she goes. Warp factor five.